Hi, my name is Vicky Huang. Hi, my name is Ang Li. Welcome to our podcast, Lao Slurp, where two working journalists talk about Asian culture and cuisine, and working in journalism. I hope you enjoy our biweekly conversations and interviews with our special guests. Please hit the subscribe button if you want to stay in touch. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lao Slurp podcast. This is your host Ang. Hi everyone! Welcome back to the Lausler podcast. This is your co-host Vicky. For this episode, we are so excited because we have a very special guest, Deb, to come onto our podcast and talk about a new summer sensational show on Netflix called The Indian Matchmaking. Welcome to the podcast, Deb. Hi guys! Thank you so much for having me.、Um, I was just telling you, but I've only been sharing my thoughts,、um, unsolicited, of course, with Instagram and like just over text. So I'm so excited to share that with、um, everyone else. Before we jump into that very fascinating conversation with Deb, let's talk about the best food or dishes that we've had over the past few weeks. So, Deb, what was the best dish you've had last week? I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but one of the saddest parts of living of leaving.、Um, A neighborhood is leaving behind the restaurants you love. So for the past、um, past two nights, and then for the next week, I'm back to Washington Heights, where I lived a few years ago. And one of my absolute favorite restaurants in Uptown、um, was a place called Handful Noodles. And I was so excited to come back and try their、um, flat white noodles with、um, with beef and cumin, and it was spicy and amazing. And、um, yeah, it felt like I was coming home. Oh my god, Deb! Is that restaurant in Harlem? Because if it is, I actually did a video project for it because、uh, for J School, I actually interviewed the restaurant owner and did a video on it. Yes, it is in Harlem, and、um, they they started to, they didn't deliver for the longest time. They only started delivering about a month or so before I left. So、um, I took full advantage for that month, and now I intend to I intend to take full advantage again for the next、um, next six days. Oh my god, I'm so jealous, Deb, because as someone who went there so much to film videos, so、um, you know, actually, I also ate there a lot because I had to go there so many times to film videos. I know that place is amazing, so I'm very jealous, and I'm really glad you will be having access to that restaurant for the rest of the year.、Um, what about you? Um, what what was your favorite dish for the past week? I made this Korean tofu dish with vegetables. Ah,、uh, you know, like kind of smashed tofu. It was a really balanced dish in terms of nutrition. So basically, you heat the pan ah、uh, with oil, with some oil, ah、uh, with garlic, a、uh, little bit of ginger, a little bit of scallion, and you chop up all your vegetable favorite vegetables. And for me, it was carrots, onions. Uh, scallions, bok choy,、uh, and you kind of like slice them into pieces and stir fry them in a heated pan. And after they're with, they have withered a little bit. You put in gochujang,、uh, which is like a signature, you know, Korean sauce. You put in tunjang,、uh, which is a Korean soybean、uh, paste. 
you kind of like let it simmer a little bit and you put in the smashed tofu. I just use the fork, you know, to kind of break it down a little bit into small pieces and you just let it simmer for another 10 to 15 minutes and it's all done. It's really good to go with rice. You know, you just put it on the steaming hot rice and it's a really great dish. I've had it for the past week every day. So I really loved it. Highly recommend it to you. And the recipe is from Cafe Maddie. Uh, she is an internet celebrity chef. Uh, you know, she's really, really well known in the TikTok community and also on Instagram. Uh, her voice is really calming while she shows you how to like make these simple recipes. So give her a follow uh, if you can. Oh, wow. That sounds like a really delicious tofu dish. Very luxurious and full of um, ingredients. And I'm definitely going to give the recipe uh, owner a follow as well. So my favorite dish over the past week was kimchi jjigae. It's a really typical traditional um, Korean soup dish. And um, I'm, I, I think um, I've made it in the past at home as well. So basically, you make it with kimchi and pork. Uh, I'm not going to go into how you make it because for the one that I had over the past week, I actually ordered it from a local Korean restaurant to support small business owners. Uh, I just want to say whenever I felt... Um, homesick or just uh, not feeling well or feeling tired or hungry like a steaming soup bowl of kimchi jjigae always just uh, makes me feel so heartwarming and calm and happy so uh, that's my favorite thing that I ate over the past week that sounds really delicious and now I'm craving for kimchi jjigae again even though I just had it two days ago so thank you so much again for joining us, Deb. Uh, we're really excited to have this conversation about India matchmaking. Vicky and I actually binge watched it in less than a day. Uh, and we both of us like think it was a really fascinating show. So tell us a little bit about your first reaction when you heard about the show. How did you hear about it? And what was your reaction? So it honestly just came up on my Instagram um, Instagram explore page, but also just on my Netflix um, homepage um, that this that this is a thing. And um, just off the bat, I was very intrigued. I was very intrigued at also um, about uh, who the audience would be. Like I knew for sure that um, the diaspora would be interested and also just people in India. But then beyond that, I was wondering who would watch that. I, I was a little off, caught off guard by exactly how viral it went, um, like almost at the same level as I would say Love is Mind or Too Hot to Handle, um, which at first was surprising, but then it made sense because I've always felt like um, people who are not Indian, they're always very fascinated by Indian weddings because um, A, it's, it's over at least over three to four days and for an Indian wedding, a 200 um, people plus wedding is a small wedding, which I think is a concept that's like completely alien to most people, most cultures. Um, so yeah, just while I'm surprised that it was um, super successful, it, it does, it did make sense the more I thought about it. And I was, yeah, I was intrigued. So um, you mentioned that you, um, Ang and Vicky, you guys, uh, you guys binged um, it over one day. It 
I had to, I had the exact opposite reaction. I had to um, definitely watch it in small doses because um, it was, it was way too close to home. I definitely relate um, to you, Deb, uh, in terms of how you came across the show. Uh, for me, it was um, when Ang came to visit me, we went out and we had a very big meal at night and we couldn't fall asleep. So we just sat together and started browsing on Netflix and trying to decide which show to watch. And then finally, um, the show was sort of um, occupying a, a big space in the homepage for, for Netflix. So we're like, why not? And then before you knew it, we were like more than halfway through with the show. And it was so late at night. Uh, we were so sleepy, but we just couldn't stop watching it. So I'm very curious to get your thoughts on, you know, how how did you feel once you start watching it and really getting into the show? So just off the bat and people might think this is unfair but less than five minutes into the show um Seema who's the who's the matchmaker um the main character she she says something along the lines of oh yeah people want want a girl who's um who's like slim trim and fair the moment I heard that word yeah it was honestly game over for me because I I've lived my whole <laughs> life hearing so many different iterations of that word and I like I knew exactly what she meant when she said that and I I mean you guys tell me but I don't know if a lot of white audience is going to um, understand what she's saying there but it's um yeah just off the bat I was a little I'm not gonna lie I was a little put off by that colorism I think, yes, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, when Vicky and I started watching it, I think our mindset was, you know, this is a docuseries. I think one of the points the director made to defend the docuseries or defend the show is that she said, quote, she didn't want to sanitize it and shy away from the difficult conversations, you know, about problematic issues, like you just said about, you know, casteism, colorism, and also sexism. I was just wondering, do you think she actually reflected the social problems in her shows? Like, what do you think about her comment defending the show? Oh, absolutely. Like, I should have probably given this disclaimer before I started talking, but um, I, I have nothing against the show itself, like the concept, like the show itself is well-made. And um, Smriti, I want to say, Smriti, she did a really good job of holding a mirror up to our community like what made me uncomfortable about the show was was some of the not so great parts of my of my community like yes like you like you just mentioned the sexism colorism gasism like it's not fun to be at the receiving end of it at all like I I mean it's probably like I can't speak to Indian men but as an Indian woman like constantly colorism was like always at the forefront of everyone's consciousness whenever they looked at me or they look at me now still um like my whole childhood and early teen teen years um just constantly I would hear oh don't go out into the sun too much or if I did everyone say they've they haven't seen me for a few months and they see me again and the first thing is why are you so dark? Have you not been taking the car to go places? Are you walking more? Stop doing that. Um, I've only been back once, um, been home once since I moved, uh, moved here and home is India, Calcutta. Every 
fourth or fifth person had a lot to say about how much more tan I am, which um, I mean, which is not something that I notice and not something that I care about, frankly. Um, as for the castism, I think that's a, like she's done a, like Seema, she's done a better job of not um, mentioning the word as much, but it's still very much, like you can tell it's still very much a thing that she um, probably thinks about while making these matches because whenever she says, oh yeah, we want someone from like similar backgrounds or a good family, like everyone knows what that means. Like she's saying like whenever someone says similar family backgrounds, they mean, oh, you want someone from like the same social um, status and like probably the same cast. So it's, um, yeah, the, sh the show itself, like I, I respect the um, the filmmakers and I respect the job they've done with the with the show. Like the show itself is, like technically speaking, it's it's great. It's just the themes that are. It's it's hard to reckon with, to be honest, and it's hard to, it's it's a well kept secret. I although I don't know if it's that well kept, but now the rest of the world also knows about this. Um, Maybe they didn't pick it up with the first watch, but, um, and I'm glad these are important conversations and I'm glad that we're having them. Definitely agree with you that these are very important conversations to be had. Uh, and thank you so much again for sharing your, your own experience, you know, with colorism. I think that in some other Asian countries, you know, like other than India, it's also a problem, maybe not as severe. Uh, as you know in India and correct me if I was wrong uh, I know that in China you know like I have like darker skin tone like compared to most like Chinese girls and it's definitely seen as like an undesirable trait so I would love to hear more about like you know the contacts and like the, the bigger cultural phenomenon in India the three of us are all like educated in the western higher education institutions and we probably don't have like the same belief as like people who are, you know, still back in our home country. So when you face that comments like that, you know, like how do you navigate that? I I'm really curious. Oh man, I could probably write like a 2000 word essay on colorism in India and it still wouldn't be enough. Um, I'm just gonna start with a small story that I heard a lot growing up. I would constantly hear how um, when I was born, I was, I was, I had dark skin. Um, and then it was upsetting to people that I had dark skin. And then they said, oh, thank God, but you like cleared up a little as you got older. Um, and always like at first it's not, it's, it's a very critical and it wasn't like in good humor. It was always critical and, it, it messes with your self-esteem when you hear, oh, like someone didn't like the way I looked when I was an infant. Um, but when you, as I got older, I would think, um, well, both my parents are brown. So were you expecting a white baby? Um, I, don't, I don't think that's how it works. Um, so you, you do get better as you get, as you get older, you have more to defend yourself with, but I don't know if it's, at least for me, because I'm not a very, confrontational person like I don't I don't like getting into fights with people especially one where I know that I'm not going to win because it wasn't just the color of my skin it was also my hair because I also have curly hair which is um 
which was also very rich fodder for people um, to comment on. Um, and I would hear racist, disgusting things like my whole life, my whole childhood. And I hated my hair so much um, because of the stuff that I was told. And now um, when I see my curls, I think I can't believe I spent 90% of my life hating you. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you don't, you, you just get better at defending yourself or like not getting upset when you hear that stuff. But it's a, it's a, it's a losing battle, especially when you're fighting against people who don't necessarily view how you look as traditionally desirable. There's, and it doesn't help that we have, um, I don't know if you, you might have heard of a line of skincare called Fair and Lovely. And like every single Fair and Lovely commercial was um, started off the exact same way. Um, a girl who's darker, she doesn't really have a lot going for her. She has no job prospects, no romantic prospects. And then someone gives her a tube of Fair and Lovely and she starts applying it every night. And within a week, she's, um, she's three shades lighter and suddenly everyone wants her, everyone loves her. And it's just, it's just the worst. Like it's, um, like you're teaching, you're teaching girls to hate themselves. And it's, it's a, it's a rigged system. Like you, you can't, you can't win in a system like that. Like you can't, you cannot expect to brown parents to have a kid who's white. That's just ridiculous. And you can't expect your skin to get lighter in a week. And even just the concept is honestly the, I mean, you, again, like you don't question it growing up, but now it's, it's just, it's disgusting to me that you, you, you don't take any pride in the color of your skin because of some Eurocentric standards of beauty from like 300 years of colonialism. It's, it's insane to me. Thank you so much, Deb, for sharing these um, experiences and memories from your childhood. I, I know it must not be the, you know, it must be, you know, somewhat difficult. So really appreciate your sharing this with us and our listeners. And before I ask the next question, I just wanted to also say that like I re resonate with Ang that in China, there is also such a widespread um, sort of worshiping of fair and white skin. Um, there is definitely a lot of beauty products that are um, advertised as magical creams that will make your face white and fair in like uh, three weeks or something like that. And uh, just to tell a personal anecdote, when I when we were down with J School and I went to Bangkok, Thailand to do the the AP internship, um, I remember because it was a it was a breaking news internship, so I was always outside every single day running around um, doing video stories or interviewing people or, t or taking pictures and the sunlight in Thailand is very very intense so after three months I got extremely tan more tan than I've ever been in my life and then at the end of those three months I went back home to China to see my family and literally everyone was like what happened to you uh, why weren't you taking care of your skin uh, I, I was because I was playing uh, applying sunscreen and everything, but I think people were just getting at what was what's wrong with you that you got so tan. So that's definitely a widespread issue, and I'm uh, just as disgusted as you are about how people worship white skin. Uh, it's just not how it's supposed to be um, 
the, the way it is in the world. So um, also just uh, segueing to another question, you know, from your perspective and um, going back to Indian matchmaking, what do you think is the reality of matchmaking in India? So before I say anything else, I just have to make a note that there's um, in India that it's so arranged marriage is the norm. Like it's so common that there's people say when they say marriage, they mean an arranged marriage that was set up by your parents. And then if it's not that, if it's um, if it's organic or whoever, if you meet someone in college or whatever, they say it's a love marriage. So it's marriage and love marriage. And the marriage just means arranged marriage. So it's so common. Um, and I had, I, so I'm just, I, I also have to admit that I've never been an active participant in this whole situation or this whole arrangement because my parents, I'm 26 now, my parents and I, we've never had any conversations about any of my, um, yeah, marriage has just not been a topic that we've talked about. And um, so I've never felt any pressure from them or anyone else to participate in any of this. Um, um, so I, yeah, so I can't, so I don't have any firsthand experience, um, but so I have always been a, I've always been a nosy person, although I call that research, quote unquote research. Um, one of my favorite things to do as a teenager was um, to go to the matrimonial section of any newspaper um, and just look through ads, I would say. Um, so there were, there was both um, groom wanted and bride wanted. Um, and they always had 90%, maybe not always, if not always then 90% of the time, like they wanted a fair skinned bride. Um, they wanted someone with a BA, um, but always they wanted a profession that they probably viewed was um, was more amenable to um, her domestic, to the domestic side of her life that she would also be involved in the day-to-day um, stuff of the household. Um, sometimes they would have a height, but it was always like, I, I always walked away from um, reading the paper, feeling like it was always the same cookie cutter idea of what the perfect Indian bride is. These ads, they might change some of the words or some of the more specific requirements around, but it was always the same person. Um, and they also had a thing for what community they wanted the um, the prospective bride or groom to be from, and which is a which is a sanitized way of saying what caste they wanted. Um, which also, um, I mean, this is embarrassing for me, but I never really thought about caste at all. But also, it's one of those things where you don't think about it because you've never actually faced any hurdles or problems because of it. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't really truly become aware of that until I was maybe 17 or 18, which is pretty late in life, honestly, to be to be completely honest. Like I would read that in history books and think, oh, but this is not a thing anymore. When they said, um, when I read in a history book that they outlawed it and I wanna say the forties or fifties, like you can't really discriminate it based on caste. I was like, oh yeah, that's, so it's illegal now. It's not, people still very much, like it's still a big part of everyone's social life. I just never faced it. So I was ignorant enough to be like, oh, it doesn't exist anymore. But that's only because again, like I'm from, like my family is from an upper caste 
background. So obviously no, nothing in my life or my lineage has, um, like I have never been at a disadvantage is what I'm trying to say and not probably the best way. But yes, um, caste was always a thing. Skin color was always a thing. Thank you so much for sharing that very sad, but at the same time, very fascinating, you know, aspect uh, of matchmaking in India. I'm kind of curious, how do you think the show reflected that reality based on what you just said about like, you know, the matrimonial section in newspapers and Indian newspapers actually kind of, it resembles like the bio data, right? We see in the show, like from Ansima. So just kind of curious, like, what is your take of the show and the reality in that show? So I, I think um, the show definitely did a good job of capturing the whole um, whole biodata situation. Um, Ankita, she, I want to say Ankita, the designer from Mumbai, her, she was, um, she was sharing a story from her early years of um, being in the matchmaking game that people would tell her that, oh, you need to lose weight. Um, if you want to find someone. Um, and then Seema, while she was talking to the other matchmaker, Gita, she um, she said, oh, Ankita, she's not, she's very smart, but she's not very photogenic, which um, I, I don't understand because I I thought Ankita looked great. And, um, but anyway, so there was always a like an asterisk, but when she was, shopping Ankita around for for a match. Um, but, and I think this may have been the last, last person before the credits and the last episode, Richa in San Diego. Um, she said, oh yeah, Richa is slim, trim, tall. She's great. I would give her a 95 out of a hundred, which was okay, sure. Um, I don't understand why Ankita was also not deserving of a 95 because she's you have this really um, smart, talented woman with her own business. Like, why why does she not get a 95? Like, she's well spoken. She she knows what she wants in life. She's really like she looked like she's nice to her family and her, and the people she works with. So, what's the difference? Why this difference in their score? And I think I think everyone in this conversation knows why. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the show again, oh, and also like I, it's, it was like a weird full circle moment because, um, at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned that I was, it was game over for me with the show because five minutes, less than five minutes into the show, um, Seema says they want someone who's fair and I was put off and less than five minutes before the credits start rolling, Richa says, yeah, I want someone who's fair, not not too dark skinned, and um, that was um, that was very funny in an ironic way. That yeah, okay, nice. I love big big fan of full circle, so I'm glad that happened. Yeah. Wow, thank you for sharing your kind of um, opinions of the show. It's uh, really. Uh, fascinating to hear about how you think of it from, you know, given your experiences and um, observations of living in India in the past. Um, I was wondering, because you were also a very successful filmmaker, like if you were to make another version of the Indian matchmaking, how would you make it differently? Or what 
um, differences or tweaks would you make to the show? So uh, overall, I think with what they had, I think they did a good job. Um, and like I mentioned, my problems with the show, it has less to do with the way it was executed and more to do with with the parts of my culture that I'm not particularly proud of. But I, I will say though, India isn't just Hindus. There was very little representation of any other culture or religion outside of Hindus, whether they're living in India or in the US. We had one, one Sikh woman, but that's, that's it. Like I didn't see any, any Muslim people or anyone who practiced um, Islam or Christianity or anything else. So there was very little diversity, I will say, within the Indian community. Um, and I would have tried to include more of that because yeah, India isn't a monolith at all. But that aside, I thought it was, it was a well-made show. They were also very, and this is more of like, I'm being a little nitpicky here, but it was very obvious that they were playing Nadia um, off of Aparna because you had Nadia who was, um, who was shown as like, oh, like super easy to work with, um, smiling and happy go lucky. And then you had Aparna um, who knew what she wanted and probably was, um, was less malleable. So, and I'm not a big fan of, playing women off of each other, especially when what's problematic here is the system and that they're both um, a part of. So I didn't really enjoy that either. That was some great takes. Um, I know that you mentioned, you know, the character you'll probably like the most on the show is Ankita because, you know, she's just, she has great personality, but also like a, you know, just a boss lady. Which character do you think that you dislike the most in the show? I feel like you guys know the answer even before I say it, but I did not like um, Seema at all. Um, she, I did not like how she completely glossed over um, casteism and um, colorism. Like it's nothing. Um, not only is it nothing, it's, it's part of the process. It's very much a part of the process. Um, I did not like how she treated Aparna at all. Like, I don't think, yes, the Bolivian salt comment was weird, but I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing what you want because you're you're about to marry this person. You're going to spend the rest of, I mean, you're probably going to spend the rest of your life with this person. So I don't think there's anything wrong in expecting the best or having high standards for yourself. Um, I know people were making people had a lot of comments and memes about her 55 minute date and honestly I think it's genius like I don't know I don't know if you guys can relate but haven't you walked into a date and just immediately known that this wasn't going to work and then I I wish I had an exit plan instead of just sitting there for two three hours um with a conversation that's going nowhere um so I think so. I, I really did not enjoy her treatment of Aparna, especially when you had, like, she had other people on the show, men on the show who were, if not worse, about the same. And she really did not have anything that was too unsavory to say about them. So I did not like the double treatment at all. But that's, that's sexism, I guess. Yeah. I think my reaction to Seema is as strong as it is because she again reminds me 
of those people in my childhood or just from my years of living in India who would um, who would comment, who would make me feel bad by commenting on the color of my skin or my hair or whatever. And it's just, she's just like a different version of that. So the moment I saw her come on screen and say, oh, we want someone who's fair, like immediately I, I, in my head, I was like, oh, I know you. Like, I don't know you know you, but I know who you are. Oh gosh, I'm sorry she triggered those memories um, from your childhood. Um, I guess going into the next question, um, I was curious because um, I think what seemed quote unquote interesting in the show is that this um, arranged marriage is not only practiced in India, but also among the Indian diaspora overseas. Um, I Because we saw her traveling from India to Houston, to San Diego, to Austin, Texas, all these places to help arrange marriages for um, all these different people. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about your thoughts in terms of why do you think this tradition persists through generations and also beyond geographical boundaries? That's actually a really good question. I hadn't thought about why it still persists. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, before I talk about maybe why it still persists in India, I I would like to talk about maybe I think why it persists in like outside of India. But again, this is like, I just want to give a disclaimer that this is very much my opinion and has like probably no basis in truth, but that's just me. I guess it's easier or also something that people seek out, but people want or might want a partner from a similar background, cultural background, because it's, I guess it's easier when you don't have to constantly, and I don't remember who, but someone on this show said this, like it's, I, I don't want to constantly explain who I am or where I come from. It's exhausting when I have to have that conversation every single time. Um, so maybe it's because of that, like it's the familiarity that feels nice and that's why people want someone from their similar from a similar background. And the single ladies can probably agree with me, but it's hard finding someone who you get along with. And then you have this person who says that she's had success in the past and she is going to do the tricky part for you. She is going to find a bunch of people for you to choose from. Yeah, it's it's it makes this whole thing less painful. Than it needs to be, I, I I guess is my is my take on this. As for India, I think it's just a part of the culture. Like it's been it's been done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it really like no one knows what goes on in a marriage except for people in the marriage is what I believe. But at the same time, like it like you see like your parents and grandparents have done it and they seem happy. So maybe it's also going to work out for me. I, I mean, I can't, I can't relate because even though my parents had an arranged marriage, I have no interest. Um, but who knows? Things change. I might in five, six, ten years. We'll see. I think that's super interesting. You mentioned, you know, as a single lady, it's really difficult to find somebody you get along with, right? And in this digital age, you know, with Bumble and Tinder being available. Uh, how do you think these apps play into like the matchmaking process just based on your experience? I don't know if they do. I think they're, I mean, I think they're totally separate. Yeah, I think 
whoever wants to find someone on Bumble or Tinder is going to find someone on Bumble or Tinder, which, I mean, I don't know if you can find anyone long-term on Tinder, but hey, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> for matchmaking, I think, yeah, I think they are totally separate audiences and totally separate consumers is my take, but yeah, I, I might be wrong. So I don't think they're super interconnected. Thank you so much, Deb, for sharing your thoughts and insights about this show. Uh, I guess a good way for us to wrap up uh, would be to ask you where our listeners can find you on social media or elsewhere, if you can tell them where they can uh, find you. Yeah, so um, I, for more hot takes, um, you can you can follow me on Instagram. So it's D-E-B-A-N-J-A-L-I-I-I. And um, you can also write to me. Um, it's my first name, Debanjali, last name, B-O-S-E, 12th at gmail.com. I just wanted to say one last time that I think the filmmakers did a good job. I think we as a society need to need to work on some of the things if, if we are ready to face that criticism, which I don't know if we are, to be fully honest, but yeah. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Loud Slurp podcast on your favorite podcast player. We're also on Instagram at loud.slurp. Check us out. See you at the next episode.